My guest this morning, in accordance with a good number of requests as we're playing through the months of July and August, is Frank Zappa. This was recorded back in 1970, some 17 years ago. Zappa, you know, was the key founding member of the Mothers of Invention, has all sorts of uh, original thoughts on the subject. And so, the program in a moment after this message. Who are the brain police? In fact, you might ask the question, is this 1984 or, well, is it 1968? These are questions posed by a remarkable group of young musicians, mothers of invention, coast-based, uh, were in Chicago at the formerly known as Electric Theater, the Kinetic Playground. But the, uh, the mothers of invention is a, a remarkable group headed by Frank Zappa, who was the guiding spirit musical director, guest this morning. And no doubt, this music is very strange, I'm sure, to very many of the listeners, perhaps first time exposed to the mothers. Frank, as we listen to this song, Who Are the Brain Police, from your very first album that Verve put out, Freak Out, uh, some lines come to mind, uh, the instrumentation, the strange kind comes to mind. Do you find this, that the young who listen to you, the people who, who hear the music, are much more attuned to, to the sounds and everything? Sometimes they are. Uh, generally, the, uh, the uh, response to our music works like this. They'll hear the words and they won't pay any attention to the music, or they'll hear the music as a sort of a wallpaper which supports the words. And in uh, seven out of ten cases, they will misinterpret the words. But maybe dwell on this for a moment before we talk about some of the lyrics that hit me. It's uh, something is happening, quite obviously, something's happening. It's overwhelming the leaps that are taking. Uh, Sound is involved, sight is involved, technology is involved, and so it isn't. So, the audience listening either digs one part or the other. Is that it? Well, uh, what happens with uh, ordinary pop music, or that is to say, pop music which does not uh, make any attempt to extend the boundaries of music in general? We could use uh, as an example. Uh, uh, the garden variety white soul music which is being uh, manufactured in large quantities today and very quickly merchandised to the record buying public the people who hear these tunes generally pay very little attention to the words and uh, the music is perceived as a sort of um, glandular uh, you know, it, it goes to a different part of the uh, body than our music goes to. And people are, that's the way they generally listen to music. They try and feel it with their body, especially in live performance where the volume is so high that it can almost knock you over. The tendency is to uh, let the music happen to you rather than uh, make any critical analysis of it or uh, listen carefully to it because in most instances members of the audience are not prepared to make value judgments about the music other than I like it or it, uh, it pushes my chest in, or it makes me want to dance and it has a good beat and I give it 10 points. You know, the, above and beyond that, the audience is not trained to make judgments about music. But in this case, let's, let's take this one song, this one particular work, uh, Who Are the Brain Police, from your very first album, Freak Out. There are certain lyrics involved here, but the lyrics are not removed also from the sound, this, this uh, you know, the technological advances have taken place, the noise. At the same time, there's musicality that you're Some, What will you do if we let you go when the plastic's melted and so is the chrome? You're making comment right away, immediately, mm -hmm. aren't you? 
You're talking about plastics also being human here, too. Well, the, the way in which we use the term plastic is used to uh, denote artificiality in a general sense and not referring specifically to uh, tangible objects made of plastic, although it could apply to those too. And the structure of the tune is uh, designed so that the first two verses lead you to this uh, instrumental interlude, which incorporates uh, various electrical disasters and feedback and um, people in the background mumbling, I think I'm going to die, I think I'm going to die. And after that stops, all the uh, supposedly careful work done on the harmonization of the melody and the presentation of the material during the first part of the song is systematically undone, where the voices sing further and further out of tune, and the uh, harmonic relationships become more and more dissonant till after the last line is sung and the kazoo comes in, the whole thing just sort of deteriorates right before your eyes. Almost as though a society were disintegrating, too, in a way. No, it's just the plastic melting. The plastic melting. I don't think society is going to disintegrate. Society. It's going to smell funny for a while, but it's not going to disintegrate. I'm going to ask you about that as we go along, because I'm going to ask you about the audience, too, and the, the comment you just made. Uh, Frank Zappa, who's quite remarkable, is the, is the spirit of the group, the mothers of invention. Ask about yourself, too. Uh, this is not accidental. The fact is you've ha you yourself have been involved with classical music. With, tell us about your training, your self-training. Well, I went to a really cruddy high school. On the what, coast? Yeah. Well, I went to a lot of cruddy schools all over the country. In fact, that seems to be all there is in the United States is cruddy schools. And uh, after I escaped, uh, I had a lot of trouble in school. They kept throwing me out because they felt that I was maladjusted and uh, definitely uh, didn't belong there. But they didn't want to throw me out for so long that it would make it necessary for me to stay there another year. So consequently, they graduated me with about 30 units or something <coughs> less than what you're supposed to have to uh, be allowed to leave high school. But they're very glad to get rid of me. I got out and I listened to a lot of records and I went to the library a lot and I was always very interested in music. I'd been playing drums since I was about 15, I don't know, 14. And I started writing you know, very simplified uh, pieces of nonsense about the same time. I didn't start playing guitar until I was 18. And during those years, I was working in a rhythm and blues group in San Diego called the Ramblers. And uh, later on, as I was finishing high school in Lancaster, I worked with another group of my own called the Blackouts, which caused a lot of trouble in the, uh, this small town that we were living in. Lancaster is a town in the middle of the Mojave Desert in California that's basically supported by the defense industry. Prior to the, uh, see there's an Air Force Base, Edwards Air Force Base, mm -hmm. a few miles away, and the uh, missile companies imported a lot of people, sort of like uh, slave labor, to live in this very unpleasant desert town so that they could uh, work in uh, data reduction and other functions up at the 
missile base, and my father was one of these people imported to uh, do this work. And before the people from uh, Los Angeles and San Diego and all these other places came to the desert town, the original inhabitants of the town uh, earned their living as alfalfa farmers, and some of them had hardware stores, and they sold tractors to each other. And it was a very uh, closed society type thing, and they resented the fact that anybody was brought in from out of town, except for the fact that the, these new people coming to town boosted the economy to where it was uh, sort of a boom town thing. But there was a constant conflict between the original residents and the uh, aliens, of which uh, I was one. So there <clears throat> always a few problems at school. Add to the fact that this closed-minded uh, area, uh, did, they didn't want to have anything to do with rock music. There was an unfortunate situation where around 1955, some promoter had brought up a rhythm and blues show to a hall at the local fairgrounds, and, and along with the performers came several people who were engaged in the sale of uh, bennies and uh, red devils and all these uh, bizarre pills that they were pushing to the kids, and so the kids were on goofballs and all doped up, and the police were very upset and the parents were incensed about the whole thing, and they <coughs> had agreed among themselves that they should never allow this type of music to penetrate the uh, valley again. So I didn't know about their unspoken rule, and when I got there and put my band together at the school, which is uh, an eight-piece uh, interracial combo, and... Uh, that was we, a factor, too, I suppose, too. Well, it certainly was, because there, there was a large Negro community outside of uh, Lancaster in a place called uh, Sun Village. And most of these people earned their living as turkey ranchers. <coughs> and their sons and daughters attended this high school, which was the only school within about a three or four hundred mile radius. And it was a very large school. And there were occasionally uh, racial conflicts there at the school. We had a, a mixed group, and we were the only band uh, in the desert that could play rhythm and blues or rock and roll music. And uh, the only other live entertainment that was offered to the kids in that area was the high school swing band, which was no fun whatsoever. It was either that or you went to a record hop where they played Pat Boone records, you know. So we had sort of a following, and people used to want to come and hear our group. But the police didn't like it. And uh, they did several things to uh, make us stop. And the school board, uh, in cooperation with the police, tried to freeze us out of... Uh, many of the situations that we got involved in, till finally we, we got a, sort of a sponsorship by the NAACP for some of our dances. They would rent the hall and we would uh, perform there. It got to be very unpleasant after a while. That's my musical background. Well, it's also perhaps the background, too, for the song we just heard. It seems, to some extent, who are the brain police when the people you knew and maybe the people here, I hate to be literal, were the plastic that melted here again. And, uh, so if we could perhaps come to the nature of, the, of your group itself and, and the instruments and also the, the use of the ele electrified well, equipment. Well, one of the reasons uh, the group stays together, aside from the fact that uh, we all like each other and we're good friends and have been for quite some time. In fact, I've known one of the guys in the group for about 12 years and the, and 
the other guys anywhere from two to uh, ten years. And we think that if we stay together long enough, we'll be able to develop live performance techniques, which would be difficult, if not impossible, by contemporary uh, performance standards to accomplish with uh, any other group of musicians. In other words, some of the things that we're able to do spontaneously or practically spontaneously on stage would be very difficult to uh, rehearse and pull off even with uh, um, your top quality professional group. The cost of the rehearsals involved to prepare a group for such a exhibition would be prohibitive. And that's one of the main problems facing music today. I, I don't know whether people are aware of it, is that uh, the cost of rehearsals often precludes the performance of difficult works, especially in a symphony orchestra. Orchestras won't attempt to play complex modern works because uh, it's going to cost too much to rehearse it, and there's no way that you can break even. Remember, most musicians are only in it for the money. Yeah, that's an, by the way, that's the name of one of the albums of uh, Mothers of Invention. We'll hear uh, some some pieces, song. Hi, song is not really the word. They're parts of, sometimes the parts of a larger composition. But in, in all your albums, you pay tribute to Edgar Varese, I noticed. He, he is, is an influence in, in, on, your on your musical life, isn't he? Well, as far as I'm concerned, he was the main man. I think he exemplifies the ideal of what a contemporary composer should have been. Because uh, when he was first experimenting in the 20s and 30s with the uh, material, we had a lot of problems because the, the technology didn't exist to allow him to hear the sounds that he wanted to hear. Electronic music didn't exist then, and I, I've just finished reading a biography of Verres by a man named Fernand Ouellet. It's a really an excellent book. And, so he uh, was ahead of his time, and he, oh, he was ahead of the technology, really. Oh, yeah, he certainly was. And he, his life was sort of a struggle just trying to get his hands on the proper equipment to allow him to make these sounds. He had contacted the Bell Labs, and they wouldn't help him, and this lab wouldn't help him, and that lab wouldn't help him, you know. And With the mothers, almost just about all the instruments are electrified, aren't they? Just about. We'd electrify the drums if we could find a way to do it where they wouldn't distort. And we've also ordered some other n uh, new equipment, some of which has arrived at our home base in Los Angeles, which we weren't uh, prepared to bring to Chicago. From your second album, your other album, Absolutely Free, Brown Shoes Don't Make It. A word about this before we hear it. Brown Shoes Don't Make It is a song about people who are sexually maladjusted, who by one means or another have uh, gotten into uh, the government, either by promises of uh, bigger and better budgets or uh, more balanced budgets, or uh, it's always something to do with money. They always work their way in. Uh, these people who are sexually maladjusted get in there and either uh, enact or enforce uh, laws which are unfair to the rest of the society who do not happen to be sexually maladjusted. Uh, the song is about a character called City Hall Fred who secretly dreams of having a bizarre relationship with his 13-year-old daughter smothered in chocolate syrup. And when you say sexually maladjusted, I think you point out you're probably talking about people who equate pleasure with sin. I think, that's yeah, mean. that's a yeah. pretty good definition. Here then. A slow fade to a fantasy beyond Humbert Humbert and Lolita. This is an idea here, of course, so this is the dream, the fantasy 
Of all the repressed who would repress the others, the Puritan Frank Zappa, my guess, the, the leader of the Mothers of Invention and the song Brown Shoes Won't Make It. Even the songs, even now and then the nostalgic part of the good old days. Sure. Were there ever any good old days? Come on now. You know Norman O. Brown's uh, Life Against Death? No, I don't. Uh, but it's with this very same theme, the what repressiveness can do. And these are the guys, of course, who are in charge, is what you're saying, too. No, as a matter of fact, the, when you get right down to it, the people who vote are the ones who are in charge. Come on, if you got those kind of people running your life, it's your fault that you put them there. You shouldn't let them fool you into getting in there. For, as far as I'm concerned, I think it's very short-sighted that the society should settle for promises of merely a balanced budget or merely this or merely that with no... Uh, hope held out for something uh, bigger and better for the society. You know, there's no really long-range goal for this country at all outside of maybe we'll get out of the war, maybe we'll uh, balance the budget, maybe, maybe, but beyond that, you know, if you ever get those things done, what have you got to look forward to? Well, Frank, this leads to a question now as to the generation, the audience, your basic audience in there, as you see it, your audience. My basic audience is anybody who's got ears who happens to like the way we sound. That unfortunately limits it to about three people. No, the fact is you have a large uh, thousand or so jam the place where you appear. I was thinking about the well, young. You have to remember about the young. You have to remember the reasons why a lot of people will jam a place where any group appears because uh, as far as I can see, only part of the appeal uh, is the group itself which is appearing in the club. The club itself has a certain amount of appeal and then one of the main reasons why people will go to a live performance event of any type is so that they can meet a member of the opposite sex and perhaps get a little action after the show is over. You know, the show is a vehicle to some sort of more personal gain. You're putting down your own no, I'm being very no, I'm being very realistic about the appeal of any any live event. You know, I, most of the people who come to hear uh, electric music performed in a club or at a hall uh, don't get their money's worth for these reasons. Most of the halls in which the music is presented are uh, so inferior acoustically that I don't think there's any place in the United States that w is designed. Uh, to be compatible with the sound of electric music. There's a completely different acoustic problem when you play uh, amplified music or when you play non-amplified music. So that you get into these rooms that are extremely resonant and you start playing at a high volume and what happens is the sound bounces all over the place, the words become muddled, the musical structure becomes muddled, and then the audience doesn't really hear anything unless they're sitting right up in the front row and then they're going to hear uh, probably a lot of drums and they won't hear the vocals very well. So, you know, the, the kids have probably become very realistic about the, what they expect to hear when they get to a club. But don't they also, don't many of them, again, I, I, don't to, I do think you're lowering your own influence, don't many buy your records and hear the music at home? Uh, well, let's examine that. When yeah, a person okay. buys a record and listens to it at home, what does he hear? Here's a reproduction of a sound that was at one time a nice realistic sound that was planned to be musical by some person or persons who really wanted to do something. And then this sound is captured on tape and then it's transferred to a disc and then it's stuffed in a box or a bag or something. And then you take it home and you play it on your 1495 uh, low grade record player. 
and the sound that comes out is a very poor approximation of what the music was supposed to be. And sometimes the people think they're actually hearing the music and they really don't know what they're hearing at all. I say if we get through to anybody, you know, there, there must be very few who really know what that music is or what we're saying. Some people like it uh, for reasons other than uh, the quality of the work. Then you're talking also about a situation in which what you're doing is not really presented as you'd like to see it, whether it be at home or whether it be in a hall. No, I, I don't think we are, and I don't think any uh, musical group is, for the simple reason that up until uh, recently, music as an art form, as an industry, in all of its manifestations in the United States, has been uh, a very uh, third or fourth rate sort of thing. You know, Americans never really cared about a composer unless he could write a jingle for Pepsi-Cola. And uh, they never really cared about live performance of music unless it was something that uh, a critic has announced that if you go to see this, uh, it will give you culture and class. And they're using uh, concert halls for sort of anesthetic purposes. And the situation in music in the United States has for years been extremely sterile and unpleasant. Now, some people are beginning to discover that the public likes music and they're trying to get it out there to them as fast as they can because they know that if the public likes music they're going to pay money to hear it and it's strictly a matter of economics. Meanwhile, uh, slowly the quality of the reproduction equipment in the home has improved but the quality of the uh, acoustics of the places where the music is performed live has not. We've played many hockey rinks, you know, and it's, it's amazing to me that uh, people think that you can just stick music any place and it's going to sound good. It just doesn't. So there's also, you're also touching on something else. Before we hear another sequence from a third album, we're only in it for the money, a sardonic title that <laughs> listeners have taken seriously with. Because if Frank Zappa was only for the money, it wouldn't be these songs. It'd be songs that can pass on most radio stations that jockeys can play and make the top 40. Before, uh, I want to ask you about the audience, the young, you know, their own attitudes, as you sense it, you know, aside from why they come to the concert. Before, perhaps, I think the sequence from We're Only for the Money might be in order here. Uh, could you describe it, you know, beginning with Concentration Moon and Mom and Dad? Well, we have a song coming up called Concentration Moon, which is... Uh a make-believe story about some very real concentration camps that the United States government built to house uh, Japanese people during World War II. These people were snatched up out of their homes. Relocation camps. Yeah. Just that you're doing them a favor. You're relocating them. Wasn't the American government so nice to give them a place to stay during the war? And they snatched these people up off the street and uh, they stick them in these camps and then I guess they turned them loose later. But the camps are still there, and it, it was a popular myth. Let's hope it's a myth among the uh, hippies on the West Coast that very soon uh, any dissatisfied, uh, potentially non-conforming person in the United States is about to be rounded up by the government and stashed away in these camps. That doesn't mean just hippies, but they were probably thinking that uh, militant blacks and uh, militant Latins and militant anybody, or even passive people who Dissenters. just, yeah, anybody who doesn't go along with the mainstream of uh, hokum that the government is feeding to you is going to be stashed away. So, uh, 
starts with that concentration. It starts with that and then goes on to the story of uh, mom and dad, which is a, a middle class uh, couple who have been informed by one of their children that uh, their daughter has been killed in the park by the cops because she just happened to be there laying in the grass with a hippie. And uh, the attitude of the song is the, the parents say, well, it served her right that she should associate with such trash. And then, and then we have uh, Bowtie Daddy, which is a, another song about those same people who uh, didn't care when their child was killed by the police because they were embarrassed that the child should have anything to do with a hippie. And we have uh, Harry or a Beast, which is a song about the sexual attitudes of the parents, giving a little insight into why these people should feel that way about their child. Finally winding up with what's the ugliest part of your body, a song about the intelligence of the parents. The ugliest part of your body turns out to be... The mind. The mind. And so the sequence, what's the ugliest part of your mind, your body, the whole sequence reminded me, though others, I'm sure each person thinks of different things. He brings his own, I suppose, uh, memories or reflections or bags of experience with him. But to me, I thought of a lot of Jules Pfeiffer cartoons, Frank, uh, comment on, on the way we live, a number of them there. Uh, whether it's concentrate, mom and dad, certainly, and what's the ugliest part of your, mi of your body, your mind? Well, I hope he wouldn't be too offended by that uh, comparison. No, I'm thinking this is from the album. There are four. There are four Verve albums. This is, uh, we're only in it for the money. There's one song, of course, it's an overwhelming one to me. That's from your first album, Freak Out. Uh, you were talking about your experience in the desert when you and your father and other people came there as strangers to the community and uh, the interracial group you had and Trouble Every Day. How did this song come to be? Well, I wrote uh, Trouble Every Day while the Watts riot was taking place in uh, Los Angeles because you know? it really annoyed me the way the news media was covering the incident and they were trying to make such a spectacular uh, thing out of it. I mean, it was tragic enough you know, that these people were desperate. You know, they, they were so desperate they would burn their own homes, their ho own community, you know, as sort of a, a gesture uh, to prove that something was really wrong. <clears throat> and the news was, uh, they were covering it in a very distasteful way. So I wrote the song and I took it into town and uh, tried to get a record company interested in recording it and about five of them turned it down. They weren't interested at all. So I just saved it and when we finally recorded Freak Out I put it on there. The song uh, states a position that uh, neither black nor white is right when they re resort to uh, certain methods of expression you know, which tend to uh, make things unnecessarily messy. You know. Revolution in the streets is not the most effective way to get things done. I think that uh, guerrilla tactics on a psychological level are a lot more expedient. Wow. Thinking of the song, Trouble Every Day, it's a, a novel, really, though it's about seven minutes a novel. Uh, Frank Zappa, I guess, the musical director of the Mothers of Invention, the song from their first album, Freak Out, that Verve has, of which Verve is the label. It has almost everything in it, doesn't it, about the, what a fire in the street is not like a fire in the heart. 
or in the eyes of all these people. It comes back to individuals again, doesn't it? You were, you were speaking of this earlier about who elects whom. And you're talking here also, what was that one line in there about, uh, something about you and me, you were coming back to that again. Let's see. Doesn't have to be the exact so, I'm thinking about, but you're, There you're, ain't no great society as it applies to you and me, and our country isn't free, and the law refused to see if all that you can ever be is just a lousy janitor unless your uncle owns a store. So you come back to clout, that's a Chicago word, meaning, the, meaning po, drag, clout, but you also come, you also come back to uh, individual, you hit this, you touch on it, individual responsibility throughout, don't you? Well, I think that it is the individual's responsibility because, you know, if you're not going to take care of yourself, who is? The government ain't doing a very good job of it. Lumpy Gravy. There's a fourth album of uh, The Mothers of Invention. A Lumpy Gravy is one work. Suppose you described it. We, we, we could hear perhaps the beginning of the second side of this, but uh, the composer himself, uh, Frank Zapp, suppose you tell us about Lumpy Gravy. Lumpy Gravy started out to be a ballet. Unfortunately, at the time I was commissioned to write this piece by Capitol Records, uh, they gave me 11 days to complete the work on it because they were in a hurry to uh, do this and that, and I had a unfortunate commitment. I had to leave California and go to New York. And so with all this hanging over my head, I wrote the uh, orchestral parts of that in about 11 days, and then the rest of the work on the album was completed over, on and off over a period of about eight or nine months. The release of the album was delayed by about 11 months. Uh, Lumpy Gravy, in its completed form, turns out to be a sort of mixed-media presentation, a combination of uh, experimental uh, electronic things, soap opera, uh, candid conversations and just anything that I thought might go in there. And thus Amen. come the drums. And this conversation, if we could perhaps ask Frank about the form, the way you took almost ev almost everything that is part of your experience, the one way or another you incorporate, musically or with the conversation. Yeah, I think that uh, to me that type of conversation is very musical. There's a definite rhythm pattern to uh, the manner in which the words are spoken. There's a definite inflection which could approximate pitch, at least in the same way that you would recognize pitch differentiation in electronic music. And I think that it's uh, readily accessible to uh, the popular mentality because it's got what you call words, you know, that they can pretend to decipher. And uh, it's part of my experience, and I thought it belonged in there. So you're talking about the musicality of actual talk, too, whether it be the laugh, or whether it be the, the guy talking seriously or scared. Everything is well, I'll agree with Cage is that, that there's a musicality in everything, yeah. but I will disagree with Cage when it comes to just allowing everything to happen. I still feel like a composer if I manipulate my environment or my sound environment to uh, create something that reflects my point of view of that environment. I don't think it's enough to just... Uh, turn everything loose and let it happen. I want to just dwell on this for a moment before we hear the last piece from another album, we'll speak of the albums in a moment, then you don't subscribe to Chance as Cage would a David Well, I, I subscribe to Chance to, the, to this extent. If I construct a piece wherein I feel that, that in order to balance attention of a um, very tightly organized section, to offset that, I will allow um, 
a certain number of seconds or a certain number of bars or just a little piece of time wherein anything can take place. And in our live performance environment, uh, we'll play uh, sound units, which we rehearse in advance. You know, and everybody knows exactly what's going to happen during these things. But after that unit is completed, they don't know. And I have the option at that time to uh, make just about anything happen that I want to, all by a series of signals. Frank, in, in idea and approach, not too far removed from jazz, is it? There's a form, there's a discipline, but you allow for improvisation with it. That's right. The only difference is jazz uh, traditionally has operated uh, a series of variations based on the harmonic structure of the uh, tune. After you've played the opening uh, few bars of your melody, then you can take the harmonic skeleton of that melody and improvise your own lines on top of it. And what we'll do is improvise our own lines, noises, uh, whatever, on a set of chord changes which happen to be our environment. And that's the similarity. Talking to Frank Zappa, who's the musical director of Mothers of Invention, you've been hearing fragmentary pieces, some full songs, from four of the albums of Verve, the label Freak Out, Absolutely Free, Lumpy Gravy, the Call It Ballet, Call It What You Will, but a form in itself, unto itself, and uh, the ironic title, We're Only In It For The Money, these four albums of Verve. Earlier you were saying, we could perhaps end with a song, There Will Come A Time, or Take Your Clothes Off When You're Dancing. Uh, you were saying, I was saying, maybe the society's disintegrating, and you were saying, no, maybe it's just a period we're going through, but uh, I don't something think, new will evolve. I don't think that the society will disintegrate. You have several options, you know. One of them is uh, pretty depressing to think about, you know. A couple of bombs could go off. I don't think that the whole earth will uh, disappear because somebody would set these bombs off, but I would say that probably the people who are left after the bombs would go off would be in pretty bad shape. Would you uh, want to be a survivor of a, of yes. atomic destruction? You uh, would? Yes. I want to be a survivor of whatever, Yeah, but because uh, it's not time to leave yet. No, 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 no I'm <coughs> talking about it. I think that, Frank, I, I, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I assume you would do all you can to stop atomic destruction. Well, I mean, in, ask any sane man that, yeah. I think that, in a way, everybody that's alive today is a survivor of uh, a whole series of atrocities that have happened all through history that very few people have taken the time or energy to rectify. But there will come a time. Maybe. You know, say. Maybe. Maybe. Perhaps that's the way to sign off. We opened with uh, who are the brain police and plastic people melting plastic and and the chrome that's disintegrating and the people being that some. But there will come a time, maybe something new. Maybe it's the seeds are here now and what Frank Zappa is not just saying but uh, performing, composing. Mothers of Invention, the director, Frank Zappa, thank you very much. We'll end with this, there will come a time. On a sort of note, of, what I like to call note of affirmation. Yeah, a positive approach from your buddies, the old ugly reminder, uh -huh. the Mothers of Invention. We'll see mothers you later. And the four albums, the four albums again are... You don't, need, you don't need to hype, I'm just playing the record now. I want to do that. I'd like to you know, freak out, absolutely free, monthly gravy, and... Uh, Publishers, this is the plug that I offer. I want to thank you very much for example.